We're meant to not be curious if we're not meant to push the status quo. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. For several years, my office was directly across the street from my son's elementary school. Those squeals of delight and peals of laughter punctuated our days and were part of our particular Arlington soundscape. Now, of course, the playground is quiet and there isn't anyone coming and going from that office either, but I still think of that as what the place is supposed to sound like. Educators would argue, I think, that the laughter and play are also the sounds of a healthy educational environment. Some time ago, I interviewed Susan Engel, a professor, psychologist, and researcher particularly interested in curiosity and learning in those healthy educational environments. She wrote, though curiosity rests on the appetite for the unknown, it depends paradoxically on a sense of safety and security. That laughter in the playground, that's evidence of a sense of safety evidence that conditions exist for a curiosity to blossom, for learning to happen. So the feel of the place, perhaps as evidenced by the sound of the place, matters in education. But what if you don't feel safe at school, don't feel seen or heard or valued in ways that it seems your classmates are? Then learning is disrupted, confounded, and that has consequences for all of us. There's a lot of discussion going on right now about equity and black and brown kids being and feeling seen in schools and elsewhere. Discussions that are long overdue, but hard and and complicated. So I wondered how curiosity might contribute to those conversations. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but Mostly, it's just that, conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. So I wanted to talk with someone about how choosing to be curious about educational equity might help us get closer to that essential goal. My guest today is Ryoko Reed, founder and driving force behind Bringing Student Equity to Education Now, Be Seen, in Arlington, Virginia. In 2018, Ryoko started a listserv that has allowed parents to share and forward information from their schools, share experiences their students have had, get advice and support, review annual budgets and policies, and craft and sign letters to the school board as a group. But at its core, she says, she hopes the listserv has helped parents know they are not alone in raising their black and brown students in Arlington. I first met Ryoko through Michael Griffin, the new chair of the Arlington Partnership for Children, Youth, and Families. He was pretty insistent that we talk, and it was easy to see why. So thank you, Michael, wherever you are today, for making the introduction, and welcome, Ryoko. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to continue the conversation we started just recently. So let me ask you a question that doesn't have anything to do with equity in schools. When did you first realize you were curious? So early on, I'm an immigrant to this country. I grew up in Skokie, Illinois. My older sister, younger sister, and I, we were born in Japan. And through my dad's business, we came to the United States. And immediately when I stepped off of the airport 
I knew I was different. Mm. Right. This was the first time I saw white people and I was really scared. So I'm clinging on to my mom's hand. And I think that's the first time I was curious. Oh my gosh, who are these people? And they don't look like me. It's the first time I'm seeing uh, foreigners. For me, it was foreigners, right? Um, right? And then soon right. I realized I'm the foreigner. I'm the one who will never feel like I belong hmm. in the United States, even though I now have a citizenship. And so I think the curiosity angle has always been part and parcel to who I am. And I think a lot of immigrants feel the same way. Needing to be curious and learning about the United States so that we can fit in. And so then you you parlayed that into a career in research and then into activism. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Oh my gosh, it's it's been <laughs> uh, it's so I first started actually as a special education teacher. Uh, so oh, okay. my teaching certifications were in learning disabilities and behavior disorders. So I taught a little bit in a public school setting in a self-contained classroom, but Otherwise, I actually ended up teaching in pretty hardcore settings, mm-hmm. in incarcerated settings for juvenile sex offenders, for psychiatric settings, for kids who are homicidal and suicidal. And wow. so it was definitely always this other, right? This other where these kids don't belong. And so those are the kids that I really, really enjoyed. And then I moved into research thinking to be able to help more kids, maybe research is the way to do it. So I've been really focused on um, studying adolescent development, at-risk youth. So it's really like I've been Johnny OneNote all these decades now, right? You know, and it's one of those things where I'm almost embarrassed about it, where I've published and presented on my research, and a lot of it is on equity. And my story also as an immigrant, as a student of color, right, an English learner, uh, first-generation college-goer, and I definitely struggled in schools. Mm. Uh, that's why mm. I chose special ed. And then I became a mom. And the mom hat just knocked me down. It's a big hat, right? I really didn't realize it was so huge. Yeah. And I think that mom hat, it's so visceral. Right. And no matter mm-hmm. how much. So my husband's African-American. So he and I had similar experiences of always being the other in school. And so I'm like, we're prepared. Right? We're prepared um, to raise our black daughter here in Arlington, Virginia. And there is something about the parent hat and in particular, the mom hat for me. I don't think I was very prepared. If anything, it was really depressing. So so. I mean, what did you encounter that you didn't anticipate? So I think the fact that with all of the work collectively that people have been doing on school equity, the work that I personally have been doing as a researcher, right, on school equity, and my own kid wants to drop out of school in kindergarten as a five-year-old. So then I put, so my, you know, kid comes home, says, I want to drop out of kindergarten. I'm a failure, right? Because my teacher told me I'm a failure. So then I put my research hat on, my work hat on, and says, oh, you know, sweetie, you can't actually drop out until you're 16. 
Right? And then she like, you know, cries even more. And it's like, oh my gosh, right? I've got to actually have empathy. And again, that's where curiosity comes in. And be curious, first and foremost, why is she so distraught? Why is she thinking that she already as a five-year-old is a failure? And that was the start actually of my mom had of first the shock, right? Oh my gosh, a five-year-old shouldn't actually already think she's a failure. Yeah. But her teacher told her that. And so we actually did end up transferring to another elementary school and really moving through. And we've had some wonderful principals and teachers to help her move through that. But it really took that one moment in time, it took at least two, three years to recover from that. So when you're looking at equity, when you are seeking equity, what is it that you're actually looking for? Define, define what that would look like. Yeah, that's such a great question because it's definitely something that I've always, again, been, been curious about. Because for me, it's equity is different from, of course, equality. And we've seen all these you know, memes and graphics about that. But I also think it's also different from representation. And all three are really important, right? We need things that are representative. So hiring more teachers of color, right? That's very important. Having high schools that have similar resources. So that's equal, the equal resources. That's important. Mm -hmm. Equity is where every single kid, and this is, you know, again, my parent group, be seen. Every kid should be seen, be heard, and be empowered. Right. And every parent should feel that way too. So that's what I'm hoping we can, as a community in Arlington, really strive to be. Um, what I don't want people to think equity is, is if some group has something, it diminishes away from another group. Yeah. And that's not what equity is. Right. Right. So so that was why Susan Engel's work really kind of spoke to me in this context that it seemed to me that an absence of equity would really affect kids' sense of safety and security and thus their education. Does that resonate? I mean, is that your sense? Yeah. I mean, and that's pretty much what a lot of the research on culturally responsive pedagogy also is about. Mm -hmm. It's at, at its foundation. It's not about curricular materials that's representative of the Black experience, right? The immigrant experience, the English right. learning experience. That's really representation. Part and parcel to equity and cultural responsiveness is curiosity. Actually, I think it's curiosity for me is the fundamental humanity that I hope can be the link to all of us together. And so when educators. So, I, so I'm using educators specifically as it's classroom teachers, it's school counselors, right? it's principals. It's all of these different roles in schools that diverse kids and all kids have a relationship with. And just one experience with some educator can make that kid feel not seen. And it decreases curiosity. It decreases the engagement in the learning process because that's what curiosity is, right? Being able to ask why. And so when I see the lack of curiosity in educators and the education system as well, for me, it really speaks to the structures of the structural racism that we're under. We're meant to not be curious if we're not meant to push the status quo. 
Like I was looking mm. at recent data with Arlington Public Schools and the dropout rate, when you look at subgroups, I was really shocked with all of this work on dropout prevention for decades in the research community. In the 2019 cohort, if you look at the Virginia Department of Education, it was like 18% of English learners dropped out in the 2019 wow. cohort. So wow. that's like, if you think about it, it's almost like one in five English learners right. dropped out. That's me. I was an English yeah. learner. Right? Also, if you look at college career readiness, uh, the percent of students who graduate with an advanced studies diploma. It's like 84% of white students graduate with an advanced studies diploma. And it's 40 something percent for black students. Yeah. And 30 something percent for Hispanic students. Wow. And so these are 40%, 50% differences, right? Uh, percentage differences. And I would hope that the discussions of equity, first and foremost, is curiosity. Why is mm -hmm. that? Why does that happen? Are there things that people could or should be doing that would be helpful in terms of moving this needle? I mean, we, we, we talk about the problems of systemic racism and what that does to the equity question. If we were systematically curious and we systematized equity, what would we be doing? What might we be doing now that would, that would support that? Oh, that's such a great question. So I actually think that sometimes we get too comfortable thinking of ourselves as very rigorous by only looking at the data. And this mm -hmm. is where my mom hat came in because I do data, right? That's what I do is quantitative research for work. And there's a story in the data. And then as a mom, I was having similar experiences, right, of raising a Black girl in Arlington Public Schools, and often she's the only Black girl in her classes, even now, right? and she's going to be a junior. And then I'm looking at the gaps in experiences, outcomes in the data, and I'm seeing it in essentially what researchers call qualitative data, whether it's interviews, lived experiences. And so whether you're looking at quantitative or qualitative data, I'm always seeing gaps. What I've started to think about is data is only a mirror to what's going on, to what's yeah. happening, but it never, ever answers anything about solutions. The only way to get to solutions is curiosity. Yeah. Well, this is, this I think is where that empathy comes back in, right? Yeah, I was reading Atul Gawande's, he did this fabulous med school commencement yeah, address yeah. a couple of years ago. And and he's got this line about the most important capacities that you take with you today is your curiosity. You must guard it, for curiosity is the beginning of empathy. And it, I mean, it feels like part of what you're saying is that empathic response, that willingness to sort of sit with someone else's experience is one of those things that others should be doing in like a systematic way. Yeah. And I think, um, so I read somewhere also uh, with regards to equity and racial justice, this concept of not just empathy, but we need radical empathy. Oh, tell me more about that. I like that. And I, yeah. And I really like that concept too of radical empathy where the nature of radical empathy was 
being able to be curious beyond your own bubble, Mm -hmm. right? In learning theory, actually. So the way that kids learn, they actually have to struggle. If there is no struggle, there is no learning, right? So curiosity, it's not like, oh, I'm so curious, blah, blah, blah. They actually have to struggle. It's called productive struggle. And it's through the productive struggle and parents and teachers helping students, supporting students to go through that supportive uh, environment, to go through that productive struggle. So with students of color and other marginalized kids, when they go through this pit of learning and going through that productive struggle, what happens for marginalized students also is as they struggle, that stereotype threat comes in, right? Like Claude Steele would say. It's, oh my gosh, I don't belong in this class. Oh my gosh, I don't know this because I'm not good enough. And it's that environment of supportiveness. That's what I think equity is, is being able to support all kids through that productive struggle so that kids can go through the other end. Because when they do go through the other end of the learning pit, not only do they learn academic content, but they actually learn cognitive skills and social and emotional skills. Right. So when I see my kid go through that productive struggle and I'm the one supporting her at home because she doesn't get it at school. Our mark of a good school year is if in her load of classes, she has at one teacher. Our bar is now kind of low. One teacher that actually gets her. It actually takes her until the second semester in January. To let her guard down a little bit, to exhale a little bit. You could almost see it in her shoulders. Uh Say, this teacher, she sees me. And that's Uh how I named Be Seen, actually, right? Is Uh that one teacher who can see Kimmy for who she is, right? She works hard. She's not asking for extra or special treatment. She just wants to be seen for the hard work and the person that she is. And it takes her all semester and then she can learn. Right, right. So what's interesting to me about this is this this tension that I think the mom hat puts and squeezes our head, right? Because it brings out this mama bear kind of protective advocate yeah, yeah. instinct. And, you know, inclines us perhaps to protect our kids from the very struggle and the opportunities to discover their own resilience and grit and to be sort of seen in an authentic way for who they are. There's a tension there, isn't there? Yeah, but as a person of color, I know that I can't shield her. So I think I'm like, you know, my daughter makes fun of me saying like, I'm such the OG immigrant parent. I've got my level one, two, three kind of thing of when I need to go into the school to support her. But I do try to have her self-advocate so she learns how to do that. And both my husband and I also talk about, you know, and this is what we've seen in movies and, you know, talk shows and stuff like that, too. We are raising a Black girl. Yeah. And what that means is, yeah, we have the talk almost all the time, right? And the talk also includes self-advocating. And when there's experiences from teachers and students that we know has racist underlying causes, it's going through the hurt with her, right? Being able to share our experiences also, even now in work settings and strategizing together how we can be seen and be heard and be empowered. And so what's a good ally to do? 
oh man, I really struggle with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because when I'm frustrated at the lack of movement, I feel alone, right? And I feel like I'm doing this by myself. Um, And so I don't know the role of an ally. And I guess I think an ally would be someone who not is, so I would like an ally for me as a mom hat, as my mom role, to not just, you know, see us in our experience and say, hey, are you okay? So, you know, during the Black Lives Matter, we have these random people, you know, text or email us, hey, are you okay? And, you know, there, there's times where it sounds inauthentic because, you know, it was one of the uh, 50 things to do for white people to be anti-racist. Right. And that was number 26 or something, right? Is contact a personal call, you know. So it seems inauthentic. So what I'd like allies to be able to do is help me, help all of us make the system better. Yeah. Look outside of your bubble. And genuinely connect. So when I was a VP for the PTA for the elementary school, it's being really explicit with my fellow PTA board members, right? So what happens in a PTA is if it's not all white, there may maybe one, two parents of color. And they sit by themselves. So the rule was no parent sits by themselves. So as board members, we don't have our own table to sit in. We separate so that no parent sits by themselves. And it's little rules like that that we need to teach allies to do. We need to teach allies to be curious. Why are these parents sitting by themselves? So being able to, uh, I think at the core, being an ally is to be curious and connect. Yeah. Um, to be outside of your bubble. Wow. That's great advice. Thank you for that. So uh, uh, we're running out of time, but I want to connect some things. So I'm going to invite you to do my big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you game? Yes. Okay. I have this big jar and there are little slips of paper in here. And I'm going to take out one for you, one for me, and one for our audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity. Okay. So yours is sushi. Oh my gosh. What? Seriously? I know, right? Mine is goofy. Um, And then we have one for the audience. And this is too funny. I'll get to it. So curiosity is like goofy. Well, because uh, I think curiosity can and should have a sort of playfulness and lightness about it. Not always. I mean, we've just been talking about some ways in which curiosity is kind of heavy and needs to be sort of serious-minded. But I think it can also be kind of fun um, and diverting and entertaining. So I'll say that's how curiosity is like goofy. So how (laughs) is curiosity like sushi? So I... um, Okay, so first... Uh, obviously, with my name, you could tell I'm Japanese. I am from Japan. I know this is so weird, uh, right? And so, isn't it weird how things work out? Um, so, sushi is also actually it, it's the rice, it's the vinegared rice. Mm-hmm. So people think that sushi is the um, sashimi, right? The raw right. fish, 
but sushi actually just means the sushi rice. Um, and then there's right the norimaki, which is the um, the roll. And then there's sashimi, which is the um, the little bits of rice. And then there's the raw fish on top. So sushi itself actually just means it's the vinegared rice. And so sushi, it's all about curiosity, actually. I, I love this because, <laughs> okay, now that I explained what sushi is, it's the rice, it's the base, it's the foundation. Right. You right. can put anything in it, right? Um, and that's yeah. where if you see other cultures, including in the United States, how they've innovated sushi into like the California roll, mm-hmm. that's a total mm-hmm. American thing. But um, all of these people, including home chefs, have created things through their curiosity, also just with what they have on hand. So I think yeah. with sushi, it's actually a really great example of uh, curiosity because you can do so many things with it. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. So, okay. And the one I pulled for audience, I just pull slips out of here. The audience one is equity. <laughs> Okay. Wow. That's, <laughs> are you sure these are random? Um, Isn't that that's weird? So funny. I know. I'm t- I mean, so absolutely. Funny. These are all in my handwriting, but I don't know when I put these in here. It's been months, probably. <laughs> that's too weird. Okay. So, audience. Well, I just <laughs> answered what curiosity should mean for equity. So, like, I know. audience members, but just you know listen what? back. There is not one anyway. answer. There is not one answer to this question. So, audience, how is curiosity like equity? I want to know your answer. Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Ryoko, thank you so much for this. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. This was a really great opportunity to also just, again, talk about hopefully what's important to all of us in the Arlington community. Um, and hopefully I'm just one of many other voices uh, to talk about our experiences as parents and students. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can catch all my shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your equity analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Ryoko Reed. I've got links to her listserv on my website. Thanks, too, to Michael Griffin for the introduction. Links to the partnership on my website as well. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and you're listening to Cirrus Transit by Cloudbreaker via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. I think all of us have curiosity as the foundation of who we are as human beings. And, you know, you see it right in uh, kindergarten where they're all excited and they raise their hands. And we all know that, you know, towards, towards the end, many kids don't raise their hand. And as adults, we rarely raise our hands, which is to advocate. The grown-ups version of curiosity of what we see kindergartens do, raising their hand, and often two hands, right? So, so that's what's so funny about kids. They're so into it. They're so into curiosity that they raise both hands. They didn't quite get the memo to just raise one. For adults, that's advocacy. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. 
as she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.